And when you stop, you stop. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll ask for a good next time. <laughs> <laughs> God has already said something very clear, I think, this morning, in that we are here, we not only here this morning, but we exist to <laughs> worship God. That's it. That's it. What, why should we worship him? Because he's worthy of our worship. If you saw him with your physical eyes at this moment, you would fall down on the floor and worship God. It would be so splendid. The effect on you physically would just be overwhelming that you couldn't stop yourself by simply falling down and worshiping God. We don't worship God all the time. There's a reason for that because there is someone who is opposed to us worshiping God. He is the adversary of our soul. He is so opposed to us worshipping God, he wants us to worship him. Remember when Jesus was tempted uh, and drawn off? Uh, it says for 40 days the enemy tempted him. Jesus knew that he would be tempted in that time. And when we read about the temptations, they all had one goal in mind, that Jesus would worship the devil. That's it. He is so opposed to us worshipping God and he <coughs> desires to have the worship for himself that he tries to first ruin us, to stop us from feeling that we can or we're worthy to worship him. He disfigures the face of God as much as he can by deceiving and lying about God. So we're not disposed to worship him. And in the end, we don't. Uh, Karen was right. All of our life is worship to God. When we act in the way that God created us and made us to live our lives, that is worship to God. When you go to bed and you close your eyes and your last thoughts are about God, God wants to come and speak to you in your dream life. So even in the sleeping hours, your soul is turned towards him in worship. What will we do in heaven but worship God? God, I don't know, standing, singing songs all day to God. No, I don't think it'll be that. But our whole attitude will be one of worship and adoration of this wonderful God. But like I said, there's one who's stopping you. He's seeking to bind you, seeking to rob from you, seeking to steal from you. And he's not particularly interested in you. He's interested in attacking God. So when he stops you from worshipping and living the way that you're supposed to live, he rubs his hands in glee. And he laughs at God. Because we, his children, have been turned aside from our Father. We've been deceived, and he's been successful in that deception. Those of you who know me and have known me some years, you know that God has used me extensively in the whole area of deliverance ministry, setting people free from spiritual bondage in their life. And I want to talk about that this morning. Uh, 
because we have to keep revisiting the things that's true. Otherwise, we soon forget about them. And maybe new people that have come, they've never heard some of these things, and they need to hear them, and we need to look at them again. I want to first share with you a testimony. Um, since moving down to Hastings, uh, several people have tried to uh, collar me, as it were, and, and get me to support what they're doing. Uh, I understand that. Christians do that all the time, get you to work, get you to do something in the kingdom. And that's part of the responsibility of Christian leaders, uh, to find you, help you find your gift and then to get working. One of the groups that approached me was a group, it's called Transom Trust. It's part of Green Pastures. If you know what Green Pastures is, it's a national ministry. What they basically do, they take homeless people who are capable of looking after themselves somewhat, then they buy properties. They might purchase a flat, and then they put two or three people, depending how many bedrooms, who are homeless people, put them together, and then from the benefits that they receive... Uh, uh, the different things, they, they buy the flat with, with the mortgage money. It, it's a great ministry. It's been going on for about 30 years now. And I don't know the total number, but they've probably got hundreds of properties. Uh, it started in the north of England, but now it's sort of trying to venture south. And I work for uh, a charity that is part of this. And my job is to give pastoral support and help to one of the tenants. So they bring people in off you know, very broken lives and then I'm available to minister to them, to meet with them, to build a friendship with them and to help them. I've only just started, they're only buying their second property, so I haven't got a, a well, I can call him a client, but call him a friend uh, that I can work with yet, but that will come in full time. I was invited to a meeting where I was um, instructed about how it all was supposed to work, and I met a guy there, just briefly, and uh, I'll call him Michael, that's not his name, uh, call him Michael, and uh, we just said hello. I found him to be a, quite a kind man, generous man, and at the end of the meeting, I didn't speak to him much, just we said, changed our names and said hello, and he said, oh, can I give you a lift home, and I didn't need a lift home, and that was it. This last Friday, I went to a training day. It was called uh, homeless, Homelessness Awareness. That how we should try and understand how homeless people think and their problems and difficulties and, uh, and trying to get on with them to understand. And it was a very useful day. This guy, Michael, was there. We ended up sitting next to one another. And he said to me, uh, at one of the breaks, I'd like to talk to you afterwards, just for a half an hour or so. So I thought, that's fine. Um, now, I don't know if you're like me, but God sets things up. Have you realised that? They're called divine appointments. You meet people, or you talk to someone, and you go, oh, I think there's more than just a casual meeting. I think God's into something here. God's doing something. And as soon as he asked me to sit and talk with him, I thought, oh, God's probably into something here. So we made some time available, went back to, I have an office there, and we sat there. We were only in this place for half an hour. I had to go and do something later, and he had to do something. So there was a brief time. In this brief time, he shared some things with me. He grew up in a non-Christian home, and um, 
the, the, his parents were very liberal in their attitude towards life and relationship and everything. Uh, and as a young man, he was a dancer in the West End. He was there for about five to ten years. And he admitted to me it was a very promiscuous life. He wasn't a Christian, wasn't brought up a Christian. And this avenue that he found himself in just lent itself to this constantly and continually. He's now married and he's probably mid-40s to 50. He has grown up teenage children, quite mature, 18, 19 possibly, happily married. And about 12 years ago, he became a Christian. And uh, he, he realised a transformation had taken place in his life. Uh, he went to a certain church. It was a Baptist church, actually, but they had some trouble and conflict. And he found it very difficult to continue going to that church. And so for a number of years now, he hadn't attended a church. But he's passionate about Jesus. He's passionate about his faith. So I said, why is it that you don't go to church? And he said, well, I've got three really major problems in my life. One is that I can't forgive people, certain people, for what they did to me. I just struggle with it, and I, I try so hard, and yet I can't get free of this. He said, also, I'm a happily married man, children, but I struggle with lust constantly in my life. And although I want to worship and live for God, this torments me all the time, all the time. So he, he has a problem forgiving problem with something that torments his mind. And the third thing he says, uh, I read the scriptures and I, I want to. I want to read and to understand. He said, after I've read it, I almost forget instantly what I've read. It doesn't build on the previous stuff that I've read. So normally when we read the scriptures, it all starts to come together. It all starts to take shape. And he says, for me, it doesn't. I really want it to, but it won't. I shared to him very briefly, he might need some deliverance from spirits that had entered into his life, broken into his life, that cause him to struggle in this way. Because the three things are really irrational, aren't they? Christians should be able to forgive. It's the primary building block of Christianity. To move on with the things of God, you have to forgive, and that's just the end of it. This promiscuous lifestyle, he left a long time ago. He has come to Christ, therefore, why isn't he free in his mind from this sort of thing? And if he loves God like he does, and he loves his word, why doesn't it stick? He's an intelligent man. He has his own business. A very kind man, a generous man. But the scriptures don't stick at all. They don't come together. I suggested to him, perhaps he needed deliverance from an unclean or an evil spirit. Something was tormenting him that he needed to be set free from. I didn't have to persuade him, you know. He thought, well, that sounds so obvious to me. And I think he asked the question, I've been a Christian now for all these years. Why hasn't somebody suggested this to me before? Why hasn't a minister, when I've shared these things, said, there is a solution to that? 
Jesus didn't save you to leave you in this mess. He came to transform our lives. And all these years later, to me, these seem to be three simple things that could be worked out in one's life. So I had no opportunity to minister to him there or to pray with him there. But we made an appointment that I would see him uh, on Thursday of this week. So I'm expecting God to do some wonderful and marvellous things in his life. I have to pose two questions to you this morning. Whenever I speak on this subject, these questions you must answer. Number one, is it possible for a Christian, now when I say a Christian, to become a Christian, the Holy Spirit has to come into you. If you are born again of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit has come in and he dwells inside of you. Is it possible for a Christian whom the Holy Spirit has entered into to have an evil, an unclean spirit, a demon, they're the same thing. Is it possible as a Christian to have these things inside you? You have to answer that question. If you say no, it's impossible, it's quite probable that the rest of what I'm going to say is irrelevant. So at least I want you to be open to the possibility. Wait till the end, and then if you still want to say it is impossible, well, I'll say impossible. But I have an opportunity to perhaps bring argument to you to show you or a revelation from God that it is possible. Having acknowledged the fact that Christians can have things within them, if you come to that conclusion, the second question follows on its heels. A few an evil spirit in you. No. See, one thing to believe it is possible, but the second step is to say, other things in my life that are robbing me of my relationship with God because of my past, because of past experiences, because of my hereditary, my line in my family, things that have happened to me, attitudes that I've adopted and cherished in my heart that cut me off from God. Is it possible that there is something in you that hinders you from truly worshipping God, living for God on a daily basis. We must answer these questions honestly in our heart. And if we've come to the conclusion, yes, there are things in me that are a blockage, and they've been there for a long time, and I do love God, and I know they shouldn't be there, you have to do something about it. See, it's very possible that God will do nothing about it. Because God has given us the scriptures and he expects us to read them or understand them or listen to them and by faith take action with what he has shown to us or revealed us. And we are responsible for these bodies. Uh, he isn't, we are. And so he is expecting us to respond to these things. Let me take you now to a passage of scripture where Jesus deals with the demonic because he is the greatest example uh, of dealing with these things. It's in Mark chapter 1. It says this. It's in verse 21 of Mark chapter 1. You can either follow it or just listen very carefully. And I would seem to open up some of the thoughts behind this passage as I read through it. Uh, so I won't read it all in one bit, but I will just read little bits and go. It says, they went to Capernaum, that's Jesus with his 
disciples, his apostles primarily, because they were the twelve that were with him. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and he began to teach. Jesus was recognized as a rabbi. That word means teacher. And so whenever he was uh, in this, this, this church at Capernaum became almost his local church. He would go on trips, but always come back to Capernaum. That's where most of the disciples came from, Capernaum. And of course, whenever he was around, he would go into that synagogue, go, go to worship with God's people there. Probably wherever he was on the Sabbath, which would have been a Saturday, he would have gone in. It was his custom to go and worship God, as it is ours. So Jesus went into the synagogue and he began to teach. Wouldn't it be lovely to sit and listen to Jesus teaching? Mm, I'm sure it would have been a whole lot better than listening to me this morning, so I'll do my best anyway. But you would have sat there almost spellbound, can I use that word? Just like, you know, and when it came to the end, you would have said, no, give us another sermon, please, more. More, we want more, like a baby, you know, when you give a baby food and you stop, he goes, more, especially if he likes it, more. We would have been like that, hungry for what this person was saying. The people were amazed, it said. Amazed. Going to the synagogue and being amazed was a rare experience. But when Jesus was there... It was probably a very common experience. They were amazed at his teaching. He was teaching before them. Because he taught them as one who had authority. And not as the teachers of the law. Can you imagine what the teachers of the law would have been like? Don't do this. Don't do that. Make sure you do this. Make sure you do that. God won't be pleased with you if you... uh, I've been to some sermons that were like that. It was like the minister was wagging his finger at me all the time, telling me what I should and shouldn't do, how I should behave in the presence of God, or things that I shouldn't do. We don't respond very good to that sort of stuff. Normally, we, there's a something of a reaction against us. Anyway, Jesus didn't teach like that. I would think one of his primary themes of his preaching was the love of God. When you read his parables, when you see the things that he taught in other places, we're not told what he taught here. What, what, a, what a great story, the story of the prodigal son. Absolutely fantastic. So shocking to the people who preached rules and regulations. He said, God just welcomes you with open arms. How filthy you are, how disgusting your behaviour has been, the terrible things you've committed, how you've wrecked your life with no consideration. God says, Come here and let me love you. And he takes a robe and he puts a robe on top of the filthy body. You realize he hadn't had a shower before he put the robe on it, you must have seen that. He takes the filthy hands, and it was not what he had done with these hands, and he puts the ring on his hands, and his feet, which must have been so filthy, he puts slippers on them. He dresses him, 
That's a picture of God dressing us with his righteousness. But underneath the righteousness of God that he has clothed us with is you. And all the filth that you were. He's got, no, I cleaned myself up before I came to Jesus. No, you didn't. And do you know why? Because you can't. You can't clean anything off you. He accepts you and clothes you with his righteousness. And then there is a process of cleaning that takes place after. Isn't that wonderful? It doesn't matter how bad you are, how rotten you are. He clothes you with his imputed righteousness. Sometimes we think we're so good until we look inside. Until something happens in our life and we realize that we're not as good as we thought we were. It doesn't take much sometime to ruffle us. I've been working at being a husband now for 50 years. And you know, Daphne can do things and push buttons and say things that I thought I'd dealt with a long time ago. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't kiss her or anything, but sometimes I listen to my voice and the things that I'm saying about it, and I'm thinking, whoa, Philip, you are not as far along this road as you would like to be. And I acknowledge that. Because that's why we ask people to forgive us and we press on again and say, God, change me. Please change me, because if you don't, I'll do this again and again and again. Because I can't change myself. I need your work to transform my life. He taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Now, he's teaching this wonderful sermon. The people are spellbound. They're amazed. And as he is preaching with this anointing, a man in the synagogue, it says, cries out. Just then, a man in the synagogue. Now, all of you have come here to worship God. Is that right? God is a priority in your life. You want to sing songs to him. You want to hear what he's got to say. You want to demonstrate how much you love him. It's just the same here. This man who came to the synagogue, which was the church before Jesus came, local fellowships like this one, he had come to worship God. All of a sudden, as Jesus is preaching, he is feeling very uncomfortable on the inside. Maybe he feels something in him, an anger coming, a sense of frustration, uh, like temper rising within him. Now, Jesus is preaching. People are being blessed, but this man... Something is happening on the inside of him. He can't contain himself anymore. He can contain himself, but he can't contain what is inside of him. Just then, a man in the synagogue who had an evil spirit cried out, Ah! In the middle of the sermon. It's as if you would do that now. We would go, ooh, what's this person got to say? What's going on? Did they all stop? Did they all think, 
What's going on? We've seen this man in here week after week after week worshipping God. What on earth is going on in this man's life? He shouts out, What do you want with us? The man is saying this in the middle of the sermon that's amazing. What do you want with us? Jesus of Nazareth. It's terrible. He's got the whole congregation now looking. Looking to see what Jesus is going to do. And looking at this man. This man has almost disappeared. But what is in him has come really to the fore. It is speaking. It is using the man's vocal cords. It is using his body. It is manifesting itself through this man. He says... I know who you are. It's not the man speaking. It's the spirit in the man. He says, you're Jesus of Nazareth. He doesn't want to say, it is the Lord. It is the Son of God. It is the Savior of the Lord. These spirits knew exactly who he was. But they called him by his earthly name. Jesus, the man who comes from Nazareth. Then he says this interesting thing. So this spirit in this man could speak, had recognition. I'm going to convince you that the spirit in this man was like a personality that lived on the inside of him. He could recognize, he could listen, he could speak, he could be conscious of all the other spirits around him. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? He had the intellect to be rude to the one who he knew was the saviour of the world. He says, have you come to destroy us? This is interesting. This spirit knew what his end was. He knew what nearly everyone in that church didn't have a clue about. Who Jesus was, what he came to do, how he would accomplish it. This spirit in the man, he seemed to know all this stuff. Have you come to destroy us? He keeps talking about us. Who are the us? Experience tells us in the reading of scripture, when a demon spirit is cast out, there's always more than one. That's it. That's what he tells us. I know who you are, he says. You're the Holy One of God. See, he knew who he was. He knew he was God's son. And yet he called him Jesus of Nazareth. How insulting. I know who you are. I don't think many people in that congregation <coughs> knew who Jesus was. The reason why is because Jesus kept it a secret. If they said, if they knew who he was, they would never have crucified the Lord. So it says later, he told the spirit to shut up so that no one would know who he was. He kept his identity a secret so he could go to the cross and die for you. Amen. If it was exposed who he was, they would never have crucified the Lord. So he kept his identity a secret. You're the Holy One of God. It says, be quiet, said Jesus sternly. I've said be quiet sternly by saying, shut up. 
Okay, that's a sterner way of saying it. Maybe the translators couldn't have quite pulled themselves to get Jesus to say, shut up, but shut up, be quiet, said Jesus sternly, and come out of him. See, we might think we're oppressed by the enemy. We might think he's come and he's brought oppression upon us, but that's not what Jesus says. He says, come out. Therefore, he must have been on the inside to come out. It just makes so clear sense. (coughs) Come out of him. It says the evil spirit in the man, it shook him violently. (coughs) Violently. Had he fallen off the seat now? Was he on the ground? And Jesus just said again, come out. Come out. He gave command, he gave an order for that which was evil and demonic to leave the man. Did Jesus pray to God? No. He took authority. He told him to get out. And this spirit had to obey the authority of this man. Now, yes, Jesus was the Son of God, but he laid aside that to come as a human being to come as a man and as a man he exercised authority over the demonic world see that's what you have to do when did you last tell the devil to clear off (coughs) when did you last tell him to leave you when did you last tell him to leave somebody else and to get out of their lives that's what Jesus taught us to do Now, we're a priesthood of all believers. You say, oh, no, this is for special people with special ministries. You are special. I listened to Lee's sermon the other week. And he said, you're all special. Some of us might be important. Some of us less important. But we're all special. We're all special. You're all kings and priests unto your God. You're all a royal priesthood. You all have authority over the demonic. You all, because you're in him, in Christ. It came out of him. They usually wake. And always wake the sleepers Do you know, spirit is breath as wind. But Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit said it's like the wind in the trees. We we see its effect, but we don't know where it's come from, and we don't know where it's gone. When Jesus, or sorry, God created man in the garden of Eden, it said he breathed in him. And he became a living soul. When Jesus rose from the dead before he ascended, he gathered his disciples around him and he breathed over them and said, Receive the Spirit. When you were born again, God breathed into you and your spirit became alive. See, spirit is like breath, it's like wind. It came out of the man with a shriek. 
It says the people, it uses the word three times here, or twice here, the people were also amazed, it says again. They were amazed at his teaching. Now they were amazed at what this man was doing in the realm of the demonic. And they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching? And with authority, they use the word again, he even gives orders to evil spirits, and they obey him. This was the first time that anyone had seen a man cast an evil spirit out of another man. Because all men subject to Christ's coming were subject to the lordship of Satan. And when anyone died prior to the coming of Jesus, they went to a place called Hades, which was the region of the departed spirits where Satan held them captive. And when Jesus died on the cross and went down to Hades, he led captives free and took them up into the presence of God. See, they'd never seen a man cast an evil spirit out of another man. And remember when Jesus sent the 70 or 72 out? It said they came back rejoicing. Why? And they said, listen, even the demons are subject to us. They might have said, well... He is the Son of God, and He is special, but now we are like Him. We have the same authority to speak to evil spirits, and they have to bow the knee and get out. When did you last talk to the devil? When did you last put him in his place? When did you last tell him to clear off? When did you last tell him to get out? Oh, oh, no, we just, we just pray to God. That's not sufficient. The word of God says, submit to God and resist the devil. See, some of us are good at submitting, but God says, now do the resisting. And we go, I can't do this. Well, he says, it's of no avail. When you gather together to pray, yes, submit to God, pray to God, worship God, adore God. But there has to be a time when we turn our face to the enemy and we tell him, we resist him, we give authority over him, we tell him to go. That's all it is. That's all deliverance is. If you don't do it, if you don't do it, the devil will mess with you every day of your life. He will stop you worshipping God. You will get out miserable, you will feel depressed, you will feel that God isn't on your side, that God doesn't love you, all of that rubbish. Because you allow the devil to run rings around you and you say nothing to him. In 1980, God broke into my life. I've been a Christian all my life, I've been a Christian home. I was uh, saved when I was fairly young. I was filled with the Holy Spirit. I was baptized in water. And God visited me one night and set me free from demonic spirits. I was a good boy. I'd never seen drugs, I'd never taken drugs. I hadn't lived a promiscuous life. I'd done any of that stuff. I was a good Christian young man who got married to the woman I loved and she was a Christian woman and we were working at life together. But he had broken into my life. And one night God appeared and he delivered me supernaturally, powerfully. He said, how do you know? Because I manifested 
That's how I knew. And when I read my Bible and I saw how they manifested, I realised that what happened in the Scriptures happened to me. And after that night, my life was transformed. See, the devil was camped on the inside of me. And he didn't mind me being a Christian because he had lost me. He couldn't get me back. He didn't mind me being a nice boy. But he was not going to have me free to worship and to live for God every day of my life. Passionate, passionate about him. He was not going to allow that to happen. And so he camped himself within me because I'd opened certain doors in my life to let him in. Or he had smashed his way in to my life. And I could not be free. When he set me free, I was a new person. Within 12 months, I was pastoring the church. God transformed me completely on the inside <coughs> through the ministry of deliverance. That's 40 years ago. I have prayed for hundreds, if not thousands of people since, all over the world, in many situations, and seen the captive <coughs> set free. I can't wait to see Michael this week. And I start smashing into those things that are robbing that man of the ability to live free in his mind, to forgive those that hurt him, to worship God and to read the scriptures, and it sticks on the inside. I can't wait. You say, Philip, you're a bit aggressive. I can't help that. See, we're in a warfare. We should be as loving and devoted and passionate towards God and the things of God. But when we turn around here and see the evil that's prevalent in the world, we need to get our fighting boots on. Put on the full armor of God. So you can take your stand and smash the enemy. How do we smash him? With our mouths. It said out of here... Out of the mouth of Jesus came a double-edged sword. A double-edged sword. We don't have to get physical. We don't have to get violent. We don't have to thump people. We don't have to hit people over the head with the Bible. Nothing. No nonsense like that. The authority is in your mouth. You are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Let me turn you to just a verse at the end of Mark's Gospel here. It says this. In Mark 16, chapter 16 and verse 15, he said to the apostles, they would have been primarily, go into all the world and preach the good news of creation. Part of the good news is not that Jesus died and you can be saved, but you can be free from all the effect of the enemy in your life. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. That's wonderful. Taken away from the clutches of Satan forever. He can never get you back. You're saved. You're, you're baptized. You're, you're with him now. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. We can't make people get saved. It's the person's choice. But to reject the Saviour is to condemn yourself. God isn't in the business of condemning anyone. We condemn ourselves when we reject Jesus Christ. 
And these signs will accompany those who believe. It's the first sign. In my name they will drive out demons. Amen. Amen. They will speak in new tongues, it says. It doesn't say that you would pray to God for somebody to get delivered. I've said this. That doesn't work. It can work. God can do whatever God wants to do. But most of the time it doesn't work. It says there you have to drive them out. Drive them out. See what Jesus did in Mark chapter 1. He said sternly, out! He drove it out. He commanded it to go. The thing had no choice. It had to submit itself to the Lordship of Christ, the authority of Christ in this man. No, well, it was Jesus. No, no. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. Go you into all the world and do what I've been doing. Preach the gospel. Baptize people. Teach them what to believe and understand. Drive out demons. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse the lepers. See, we do it. We go, well, I just pray about it. We pray about it. If God has told you to do it through the scriptures, there's nothing to pray about. I just ask God to deliver this person. You're wasting your time because he's told you to do it. They go, oh, I'm not sure about this. Well, we have to start somewhere. And maybe we start in our own bedroom by telling the devil where to get off. By having our eyes open to how vile and evil and nasty he is and start to speak against him. And then when someone comes to you and they share a problem that could be demonic, command it to go. Then you say, oh, Philip, what if this man that you're going to pray for on Thursday, he hasn't got evil spirits? Then nothing will leave him, will it? I won't do him any harm, will I? You can't pray at me. You can only chuck him out. (laughs) But but if, if, if it's not a spirit, he's just got to work a bit harder, isn't he? He's just got to knuckle down to it and keep his mind clear and he's got to get into the word of God until he's tired of reading, whatever. You see, to be delivered is a wonderful thing. It's an easy thing. I'm pretty much convinced when I kick these things out of this man, he will experience a transformation in his life. And 12 years of being a Christian has not procured in his life because we have to do what Jesus tells us to do. We have to walk in accordance with the word of God. So start on yourself. Deliver yourself. Sit down in a chair when it's quiet and no one is there so you won't be embarrassed and start to speak to what's in you that's destroying you, that's occupying your mind, that's tormenting you about your family, that's making you feel fearful, that's making you feel rejected, that's giving you thoughts that you don't want as a Christian. Sit down and tell him to go in the name of Jesus. To get out of your life. If necessary, start to breathe in out in faith that he's got to go. Jesus said, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. This is faith of the Holy Spirit. I've told people who struggle to get the Holy Spirit, drink him in, drink him in. Well, on this one, you drive him out. It's symbolic, I understand that. But it can strengthen you in your faith. Amen. 
I pray you'll take on board what I've said. Amen. And don't let the devil push you around. Don't let him. You have all authority. All authority. And when, when you've set yourself free, you can help others. Amen. Amen. One of the greatest privileges of 40 years of ministry is that I've been able to set the captives free.